And welcome to this special podcast from Ossert's 2013 conference on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. This podcast is brought to you by Sophos, security made simple, Datacom TSS, discreet, niche, tailored, and bugcrowd.com, outsourced bug bounty programs. You're about to hear Parmi Olsen's presentation from Ossert's 2013 conference. Parmi is a journalist from Forbes, but she's also an author. She wrote the book, We Are Anonymous, Inside the Hacker World of LulzSec Anonymous and the Global Cyber Insurgency. Uh, And she got amazing access to the LulzSec guys, uh, and the book is well worth reading. In this presentation, she looks at why these young men got involved with such a risky enterprise. What drove them, and what does the future of Anonymous look like? Now, I trimmed a bit from the front of her talk, which was mostly uh, basically an explanation of the, of the history of Anonymous that most listeners will already be familiar with. But I'll drop you in here where she starts introducing the various characters who went on to form Lulzsec uh, and became characters in her book. This is probably the best talk on hacktivism uh, I've seen, and I hope you enjoy it too. That might, for some people, seem obvious, but uh, when I was writing my book in 2011... Um, this was kind of the question that I couldn't wrap my head around, is why um, are these participants so keen to join in to this? Why do they want to risk arrest to be part of this subversive digital community? They're not making money from it. You know, it's, it's what is it? Is it notoriety? What is it? And so I, I met a variety of answers, and many of them overlapped with one another, and I'm going to list them now, and in so doing, I'm going to introduce you to some of the young men who became key organizers in Anonymous, and who were the founders of the uh, notorious 2011 splinter group, LulzSec. So one big reason that was given for being part of Anonymous was being part of a platform and having an audience. So this is uh, Jake Davis. He's a young man who used the Anonymous platform to communicate and perform to thousands of people online. He acted as a spokesman for Anonymous and for LulzSec. He was one of the founders of LulzSec, and his nickname was Topiary. And he was also one of the four young men who was sentenced to jail last week in the UK. So Jake was brought up, who was Jake Davis? He was brought up in the remote Shetland Islands of Scotland. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but this is the town where he grew up called Lurwick. Um, And you can imagine, many of the residents here would have no idea what a cyber insurgency really meant, let alone that one of the key proponents of that was living in their midst. So he left school at 13 and spent most of the next few years of his life in his room, online, on 4chan, and on IRC networks. It wasn't enough for him to just surf the net. He, He was an active participant in online culture. He was regularly visiting 4chan's invasion board, broadcasting prank phone calls uh, to American businesses and restaurants and then broadcasting them on tiny chat and organizing online pranks. For example, when he was 14, he helped set up uh, a fake Twitter handle for the Austrian rapist Joseph Fritzl. And it was on track to beat Ashton Kutcher and CNN as the first Twitter feed to one million followers. Uh, But Twitter shut it down at the 300,000 follower mark. So it was those kinds of offensive pranks that he was... Um, helping to organize. And in in organizing those kinds of uh, pranks, he learned um, 
how, how online raids actually work, but you never directly appealed to an online mob, ever. Um, but you use tactics like reverse psychology and careful diplomacy. So when Anonymous hit the headlines in 2010 for launching DDoS attacks on copyright companies and then on MasterCard, Visa, and PayPal to avenge their blocking donations to WikiLeaks, Jake jumped in to these attacks. So what was happening in the, in the offline world for him? Well, he was 18, and his mother and brother had moved to England. His stepfather had just died, and he was effectively living alone as a recluse. But online, it was a completely different world. He was extremely popular in the community. He was invited into the private, exclusive chat rooms of IRC operators and even the botnet controllers who held the real firepower in the Operation Payback at attacks against MasterCard, Visa, and PayPal. So he had a real talent for communication to great effect on Twitter. He was speaking to journalists and through IRC. And soon he was consorting with a smaller clique of skilled hackers with an anonymous. Um, so this is another kind of a facet for anyone who's sort of a script kitty and wants to be a, a real hacker. The anonymous IRC channels um, could be great places to cut your teeth and, and meet mentors. And so Jake was very keen on gaining knowledge and new experiences. And this is something that he cited as a key reason for staying within the community for several years. Even though there were many times when he wanted to leave Anonymous and burn his nickname and start afresh, it was these kinds of benefits that were so difficult to let go. He, like many others, also developed uh, more serious interests in international affairs as the community started shifting its focus uh, to the Middle East and supporting international pro-democracy protests. Here is Jake at um, London-based protest against ACTA in 2012 after his arrest. So this brings me to another, ma another motivation for joining Anonymous, which was activism, um, or pseudo-activism, if you want to call it that. And this worked well for people who had perhaps a more charismatic bent, like Hector Monsegur. Um, if that name sounds familiar, he was known online as Sabu. So this is Sabu. This is Hector. Um, so Hector was a self-styled revolutionary. He was the machine-gun-toting machine big brother hacker that everybody wanted to please and everybody was also afraid of. Um, when I spoke to him a couple of years ago, he told me that Anonymous was the movement he'd been waiting his entire life for. When he joined the Operation Payback Attacks against PayPal in December 2010, he was inspired by this notion that Anonymous gave a voice to people and would help fight oppression. So who was Hector? Well, he'd experienced, you could say, his fair share of oppression as a young man of Puerto Rican descent growing up on the projects in New York City, Lower East Side, the son of drug dealers. Uh, this is the Jacob Reese housing complex where he grew up. He was a talented computer programmer, but once he hit his 20s, he was struggling to find employment, and he was uh, dabbled in dealing soft drugs and credit card fraud. So online with Anonymous, he wrapped himself in this cloak of self-righteous hacktivism. And he found that Anonymous was this network through which he could gain followers and notoriety. So despite his motivation of... Uh, his hunger for attention, control, to be an activist. Uh, organizers like Hector did help Anonymous become a gateway to political activism for many young supporters like Jake Davis. So for them, these anonymous IRC channels were a 
a place to find this as yet untapped concern for international issues like the Arab uprising or cop copyright law or international attempts to regulate the internet. So another reason for becoming part of Anonymous was the wealth of opportunities to hack and show off your hacking abilities. So the third founding member of LulzSec after Jake Davis and Hector Monsegur was a hacker who went by the online nickname Kayla. So Kayla claimed to be a 16-year-old girl and there were others who vouched for this 16-year-old girl as being a fearsome hacker not to be trifled with. Surprisingly enough, Kayla was not 16 in real life or a girl, but a former British soldier in his mid-20s named Ryan Aykroyd. This is Ryan. Ryan's skill was finding vulnerabilities in websites and exploiting them. Um, a couple of years ago when he was answering my questions under the guise of Kayla, he said, for example, that he couldn't look at a website without checking for any vulnerabilities in the back end. His other great skill, which he also shared with Sabu, with Hector Monsegur, was in social engineering. He was masterfully good at conjuring up detailed stories about his background as this lonely but affable uh, young girl who lived in the countryside. And he kept up the ruse constantly, even to his closest associates in Anonymous, to hide his true identity. So this identity of Kayla actually started innocently enough as a joke between himself and a few other online friends who liked to troll and hack websites. They established Kayla as a composite identity between them, mainly for the purpose of trolling their rivals. But what started as a joke over time became more serious and a more substantial character that Ryan took off on his own, kept going on his own for several more years. So several months after his arrest in late 2011, after Kayla, um, as we knew that person then, had become a key member of Anonymous and LulzSec and fallen under the radar of police, Ryan's IP address became briefly unmasked and he knew the game was up. So that night he walked out of the house that he lived in with his parents and dumped some of his hardware into a large metal garbage disposal nearby. So even then, knowing that it was just a matter of time, probably, before police would arrest him, he went back to being Kayla online and engaging in activities with LulzSec through the summer of 2011. So what happened in the end? Well, when the police finally did come, they did so early one morning in September. They parked their car beside Ryan's house, and inside the police car, they had an, a laptop open where they were watching the Twitter feed of Kayla. The moment a tweet showed up, Kayla tweeted, they rushed into the back door of the house and went up the stairs to, the, to a bedroom where they saw a young man um, with large headphones sitting in front of a desktop computer and on his screen was Kayla's Twitter feed. Great way to make the connection. Uh, the story then goes that they wrestled Ryan onto the floor and as he kicked out, he hit his bed and his bed hit an exposed power cable that caused his computer to shut down and shred all the files on it. Uh, not all was lost, although he strenu strenuously denied everything at first. Uh, the computer forensics team with the Metropolitan Police scoured his hard drives and they did eventually find evidence that linked his computer to the activities of Kayla. Um, and so like the other uh, three other British LulzSec members who were arrested, uh, he uh, pleaded not guilty at first, but then he pleaded guilty to the charges and he was sentenced last week.
Another motivation, just to touch on briefly, uh, which will probably seem obvious, but I'll mention it anyway, because many people talked about it. Uh, many people found themselves joining Anonymous in LulzSec in 2011 for the very simple human need for friendship and camaraderie. And another ex-member of LulzSec and Anonymous spoke back then of how much he just liked the caliber of people in that, this new community. Uh, he'd previously been involved in the carding scene, but in joining the Anonymous digital protests in 2011, um, he was engaging in something more meaningful and what, with he, what he felt was a better caliber of people. And so behind all these uh, varying motivations was an important binding agent, uh, the trolling and vigilante culture that Anonymous had been founded on over the years, and mostly on 4chan. So this is the last person I'll be referring to. And this is uh, another one of the interviewees for my book who wasn't part of LulzSec and who didn't have an online nickname either, but who I uh, dubbed William. And he came from the old trolling tradition of Anonymous, pretty much sticking to 4chan, not going on IRC, but staying within that um, uh, camp. So he was 21 and an expert in so-called life ruins via 4chan. Um, and his, one of his motivations for staying with Anonymous was that it helped him waste a night. That was how he put it. So what were some of the things he did? Well, uh, he attacked the ex-girlfriends of B users. Sometimes it was B users themselves who had violated B's etiquette by trying to use it as their personal army. Um, what he might do is social engineer himself into their Facebook account, then cause all manner of mischief with that person's social network, breaking up relationships or spamming uh, pornographic images on the Facebook walls of family members. The usual fare. Uh, the thing is that none of these, what surprised me when I kind of was talking to him about this, was that none of these sort of exploits are really all that difficult to pull off. Uh, he would simply pose as one of a dozen or so fake personalities on Facebook, then talk to someone online and trick them into giving, them, giving him the answer to their password security question. And oftentimes, and this is something that I think is reflected um, elsewhere in Anonymous as a single person who can create a lot of noise, he would tell people that he was a hacker with Anonymous and that he was part of a gang of other hackers whose intent was more unscrupulous, which of course wasn't true at all. Uh, but thanks to Anonymous's notoriety and the risks inherent, his targets often believed him. So when I first began speaking to LulzSec founding member Topiary in January 2011, he said that the culture of Anonymous and 4chan made you see things differently in life. That really struck me, that statement. And what he was referring to partly was this desensitization from making offensive statements and images and from being aware of real life consequences to your actions. But he also meant good things like a lack of inhibition, um, unfettered creativity, and these sorts of things that are actually very difficult to achieve in the offline world. So I think for many young men who found themselves isolated in the offline world, what they refer to as IRL or in real life, Anonymous was where they could live out alter egos and find acceptance. This is a community that could enhance a sense of purpose and self-worth thanks to the notoriety it had developed over the years. And I think there's many parallels there with uh, young men who join gangs. So of course gangs, as we know them in the offline world, they come and go. Some will stick around for many, many years and others will die out very quickly. 
So where is Anonymous now? Well, news reports suggest that attacks are still happening, though nowhere near on the same scale that we saw with Operation Payback in late 2010, early 2011, uh, to avenge WikiLeaks. At that time, we had almost 8,000 people joining in the public IRC channels where attacks were being coordinated. So today, uh, anonymous-related attacks are much more fragmented, and they're pulled off by smaller groups. The so-called low-orbit ion cannon, known as LOIC, uh, that members use to join in DDoS attacks has actually become more powerful, but uh, it seems as though constituents have equally realized that uh, it's just easier to try and obtain a botnet to take down a, a website rather than try and drum up support from hundreds of people and try and coordinate them to download uh, this free software tool and use it all at the same time, at the same target. And so, for example, among the recent attacks, some of these smaller groups have launched attacks on the likes of Israeli websites uh, to protest the plight of Palestinians, doing so on Holocaust Memorial Day for maximum trolling effect. Uh, Anonymous does seem to have moved towards more, a more activist political activities, but that old instinct to offend is still very much there. The Anons have also become far more cautious than they once were. Uh, LulzSec was brought down in large part because Hector Monsegur, uh, who was the self, kind of the self-started leader of, of the group, uh, became an informant for the FBI. And when the police announced that Sabu was an informant a few months after the main LulzSec arrests, Anonymous uh, went very quiet. And the organ a lot of organizers were stunned despite their suspicions about Sabu. And many ditched the community. And those who wanted to keep going did so in smaller groups with much tighter privacy controls. And in the last two years since LulzSec launched its 50 days of attacks, Anonymous has also focused a bit more on SQL in injection attacks as opposed to DDoS attacks. Uh, organizers have said that DDoS attacks no longer have the same sort of cachet that they once did, and that greater notoriety and upset can come from breaching databases and leaking information. So I think there is some reason to think that Anonymous may be slowly dying out. You could say that. Uh, partly because the online culture that it came from on 4chan and other similar image boards uh, is being watered down. Um, a few months ago, I spoke to Christopher Poole, who's known online as Moot. He's the founder of 4chan. And I asked him about this, and he said that as more people came online uh, and more people heard about online communities like 4chan and joined them, it was becoming a lot harder to galvanize them into action or spur this sense of ownership of the internet as their territory. And he said that the internet a few years ago was a much more intimate place than it is today. And so its inhabitants back then took a much greater interest in things that affected them, uh, like attempts to stifle piracy or the threat of regulation from bills like ACTA and SOPA. So there is this kind of uh, contradiction in a sense, while the act of hacking has actually become easier, you could say, um, potentially with the right soft free software tools, which are automated, automated SQL injection attacks, um, the act of actually amassing large crowds of people to disrupt a website is just getting a lot harder to do. Um, I've spoken to supporters of Anonymous still, and they say that they're still out there fighting for a free uh, internet or whatever cause comes their way. 
Uh, and one told me recently that, a work, that the work of Anonymous has actually been downplayed by the media, um, and that's why we're not hearing about it so much. I would actually uh, counter that the media has given Anonymous a little bit too much attention and credit where it's not due, um, and that sort of inadvertently fueled this desire to, uh, to have infamy. That's the sort of thing that drives so many of its organizers. So this doesn't mean that Anonymous is set to go away. Um, the past has shown us that Anonymous has gone quiet for one or two years, and then all of a sudden reared its head out of nowhere uh, when issues like WikiLeaks suddenly struck a nerve or someone was able to exploit a vulnerability and, a, and embarrass a very big organization. So in spite of the best efforts by police, uh, including international coordination between forces in the UK, the US, and Europe, uh, several key players in Anonymous are still at large, and the attacks continue. And it's very difficult to define or track where Anonymous is headed. Uh, another feature that I would point out, just from looking at this community, a disturbing feature was the manipulation from the inside out and from the outside in. Um, so supporters are very good at using social engineering tactics to, you could say, hack the media or hack the minds of their own supporters, maintaining, uh, in consequence, this public image of a very large mass of mysterious cyber vigilantes who are calculating and very well organized. And of course, the press helps to, has helped to propagate that image. And even, to some extent, prosecutors have used similar types of language to describe the young men that they've arrested for taking part in anonymous attacks. So, for example, just last week, uh, the head of the London Metropolitan Police's e-crime unit uh, aligned the, the sentence LulzSec hackers to cyber criminals. Uh, she called them cowardly and vindictive and the worst sort of vandal. So I think there's some truth there, but uh, the anonymous that I observed for more than a year didn't really fit the description of calculating cyber criminal, and certainly the effect of what they do doesn't have that same kind of uh, damage or damaging impact. It really is just small groups of mostly young men chatting together, being largely disorganized, paranoid, and very often getting swept up into activities they don't completely understand the weight of. Um, am I okay for time? Yeah? Oh, I have to wrap it up. Okay, sorry. Um, so maybe I'll just end by talking about uh, what it was like to meet Jake Davis face to face. Uh, sorry, it's just a final image. Um, one of the things I wanted to do when writing about Anonymous, there was so much misinformation out there online. And so as a journalist, you want to confirm what you're hearing, corroborate, and you want to meet people face to face. And uh, most people didn't want to meet me face to face, but fortunately I was able to meet Jake Davis two months before he was arrested by traveling up to the Shetland Islands. Um, and so Lulsec had just disbanded. He was getting ready to move to England, join his mother and his brother and start this new life. And I had this vague mindset at the time that I was getting ready to meet the world's most notorious cyberpunk, this uh, digital subversive who'd been tailed by the police and the FBI. And he was keeping more, of a, more than a quarter of a million Twitter followers entertained every day. So I was surprised to meet this short, scrawny kid who looked about 12 years old. Um, and at that time, he had dark hair, scraggly hair, kind of um, tattered sweatshirt, kept his hands in his pockets the whole time, very shy, um, didn't really like to talk. But as we were walking around the island and I was asking him questions, 
Um, he was surprisingly articulate, and he said he at that time. Remember, this is before his arrest. He said he didn't have any regrets about the cyber attacks he'd supported with Anonymous, or the way that he'd bullied specific targets like、uh, the American Cybersecurity Executive Aaron Barr of H.B. Gary Federal. You might have heard about that. He said, "When you're behind a mask, you tend to do things you might normally regret. You just feel like two different people." And the consequences of his actions didn't feel real to him even then. He said, "I've done things online for years. I've harassed a lot of people." But a lot of this stuff has not affected me ever. So I think Jake's disconnect with the consequences of his online behavior, in some vague way, reminds me of the changing attitudes towards privacy among a lot of young people.、Uh, studies have shown that young internet users care less about their privacy online than older people do, and that those attitudes are only becoming looser over time. So it makes me wonder if that could indirectly neuter Anonymous's power in the future if people care less about their private. Lives becoming public online, then, in one sense, anonymous seems like less of a threat to ordinary people. So,、um, one last thing, just about anonymous's legacy, if you could call it that. How will history look back on anonymous?、Uh, well, it's a phase, I would say, much in the same way that we've had movements in the past、uh, surrounding groups like the hippies,、uh, the civil rights movement, women's suffrage, and. Each of them had their own pockets of bad behavior and extremism, and each saw small collectives of people standing up for what was important to them at that time, and they used a brand sometimes to gain notoriety and to make a point. And so I think the goals of Anonymous are very ambiguous; they're sort of all over the place. But there is this underlying theme of fighting for complete net freedom and for information to be free. And it's not really that surprising, given our very networked age that we're living in now. And so, I suppose, in the same way that history's radical movements ushered in changes to society, such as equal voting or permissive attitudes、uh, about things like sex and race,、um, you, we could surmise that the hacktivist and trolling movement of, of Anonymous, along with communities like WikiLeaks,、uh, could hush, usher in more liberal attitudes、uh, towards the ownership of information and online privacy. We're already seeing that today, and I think we'll see more of that in the future. So. Anonymous may have already made its mark, but I'm sure there will be more to come. We'll just have to wait and see. Thank you very much for listening.